Chapter 14 of the Planet Mappers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alexis Duclos of the French podcast Citizen Cage. The Planet Mappers by Edward Everett Evans, 14. During the next two or three waking periods, Jack busied himself studying his real deck, but this was such a common sight it attracted no special attention. Nor did the others notice that it began disappearing into the ship's storeroom each up period, and had to be called repeatedly when the meal was ready or it was time to strap down again. He said nothing of what he was doing, nor did any of the others think to ask for the boys were customarily here and there about the ship, busy at their many tasks and activities. But at the start of one up period, Jack went at once to the storeroom and workshop, and when he came back to the table set in the control room, he showed his family a large cork test tube filled with a colorless liquid. I've got it, he exclaimed, his eyes shining. I found all the ingredients needed in our stores and my medical kit. I made up a batch of the cataleptic fluid. We inject four cc's in each of us and... What you're talking about? John demanded. The stuff to make us unconscious so we can stand 5 g's of acceleration. Jack looked up in hurt surprise. What, what we were talking about the other... I thought we were going to forget that nonsense, his mother said sharply. Wait, now, Marcy. Let's hear what the boy has. Her husband said gently. Then, go ahead, Jack. Tell us more about this. This medicine, injected into our bloodstream, puts us into suspended animation for several days, depending on how much of the fluid we use. We first take an injection of glucose and other nutrients, of course. Then this stuff puts us into deep sleep, slows our metabolism. You said in such a state we could stand much heavier acceleration, father. Then with this, we can beat Bargain. What sort of shape would it leave us in? His father almost raised up in interest and held up his hand when his wife would have broken in. Are there any after effects? The book says the doctor never discovered any, especially after he started giving people the nutrient injection first. He has had people under for as much as two weeks. Four cc's would act for about five days, so I thought we could use that much the first time, at least. Hmm. Five G's would certainly put us way ahead of bogging shit. John had jumped up from the table and had been working swiftly with the computer. Two such five days periods, three more days on positive acceleration, then seven on negative, out to give us a controllable velocity somewhere near Sol. We'd have to compute it more exactly, of course, before we take each shot. Mr. Carver thought slowly and intently, then spoke decisively. I believe that this is our best bet, if it's sure. We certainly want to get back first, if possible, and according to our present routine, which is all we can stand as we are, Boggin can beat us in. Besides, he will undoubtedly shoot down the Star Rover if he catches up with it. And you know what would happen to us? Yes, when I checked today, it was only about 200 million behind. Let's try it! Jack was all eagerness. 
Take it easy, son. We've got to talk and study this a lot first. Mr. Carver then turned to his wife, who had sunk back into her seat, biting her lip to keep from crying out. Her hands clenched tightly. Well, make as sure as we possibly can before we decide to do anything, honey. But don't you see the advantage of this, if it will work? We must get to terror first if we can, and this seems to be the only way we know of doing it. <sighs> I see that, she said with a sigh of resignation, and I know you'll know what you're doing before you do it. We sure will. Then Mr. Carver turned back to Jack. Tell us again all about this stuff, and what the book says. Jack talked rapidly but concisely for nearly five minutes. Afterwards, he showed his father the reel and his table of components of the mixture. Mr. Carver studied the book carefully for some time and minutely compared the formula as given there with the one Jack had used. Then he lay back and thought with intense concentration for nearly a quarter of an hour. Finally, he raised his head with determination. I think we should try it. It seems safe. From all the evidence here, I have faith enough in Jack's ability to trust him to have made the fluid correctly. His formula checks exactly with the one in the reels. And if it works, we can win out. John rose purposefully. Right, Pop. Come on, Jack. Let's break out the pressure packs and get them hung. They went into the storeroom and soon came back, each staggering under the weight and inconvenience of two packs. These they hung from the bulkhead hooks built into the ship for just that purpose and made sure they were securely anchored. How much time after the injection before we blank out? How? John asked them. A minute or so, I guess. Why? Figuring how long I'll have to handle the control. A minute is plenty of time, as I can have everything set up and only have one switch to throw. Mr. Carver reached out a hand and patted his wife's cheek as she stood by his side. It's going to work out all right, honey. His voice was bright and assured. These boys of ours are really up on their stuff. Yes, she agreed. I know they know what they are doing and that you are checking them carefully. It is mainly my not knowing that makes me afraid sometimes. She gave him a lopsided smile. I hate being the weak member of the party. You're nothing of the kind, he grinned as the boys murmured protest which meant the same thing. You're the best fellow in the gang. And he blew her a kiss as the boys helped him into his pack and saw to it that he was securely and comfortably strapped in. Then they did the same for their mother. Jack went to his room and came back quickly with his hypodermic needles and a bottle of glucose and concentrates. He put this beside the test tube with the new fluid. Carefully, he administered the dosage of nutrients to the other three, then lay down on his reclined seat and gave himself his own dose. He rested there for a couple of minutes, then rose. Carefully, he drew four cubic centimeters of the new, clear fluid into his needle, then approached his mother. Ready? He asked, smiling, but with tight lips. She pushed up her left sleeve. Ready, son. And now her voice was soft but steady. He tipped the needle into the light, carefully expelled a couple of drops to make sure all air was out of the tube. Then quickly and with a sureness he had trouble making his hand achieve, he pushed the slim needle into her arm and injected the drug. With the ball of his thumb, he rubbed the puncture gently for a moment. 
Sleep tight, mother. He smiled and leaned down to kiss her. Who's next? He turned to the others. Me, of course. His father bowed his arm. John has to be awake last to handle the controls. Again Jack filled his needle, and as carefully as before, he injected the sleeping drug into his father. Then he stepped up to the pilot's pressure pack where his younger brother was adjusting the controls. Ready, John? Just a sec. The boy was still working, pushing in a button there, turning a switch here, stopping to tighten a wire or connection somewhere else. But in a few moments he had finished and then rested his right hand on the handle of the master switch, ready to push it into contact. But just as Jack brought the needle close to his arm, the younger boy pushed it away. Wait now, Jack. How about you? Can you make it to your pack and get in and strap down and settle and then give yourself the shot before I throw the switch and the 5G's take effect? Don't worry about me, his brother said gruffly. I'll make out some way. Not good enough, John said positively. Let's figure this down to seconds. If I don't close the switch before I black out, all this will be wasted. How about if you inject yourself first? We... Will you have time enough to give me my shot and then get back into your pack and strap down before you go under? Jack thought swiftly a moment. Your point's well taken, John, but you didn't figure it right. Your way, I'd have to give you your injection beside doing all the rest in the same length of time. If I give you yours first, I can get into my pack and give myself mine there. You merely stay awake until I'm done. Yes, guess you're right. But fix your pack so you can be sure of getting in without any trouble. Jack did this, then came back, filled the needle and injected it into John's arm. Swiftly then he ran to his own pack, climbed in and fastened the straps. He filled the needle, plunged it into his arm and pushed home the plunger. John had been watching his brother, forcing back the drowsiness that thought to engulf him. As he saw Jack's nod that was all done, he turned to his panel. A quick glance about his board with his fast diminishing senses told him everything was on the green. With his last measure of consciousness, he rammed home the switch. He settled back into a more comfortable position and felt himself plunging down the blackness of unconsciousness. John felt himself coming awake, and his first startled thought was... Didn't the stuff work? He began to open his eyes and notice at once how stiff his eyelids felt. But he forced them open. He looked at the date clock and smiled with relief. The five days and several hours had passed seemingly in an instant. Now, almost fully awake, his eyes saw the various meters, dials, gauge and telltales on his panel. Everything seemed to be working properly. He tuned in his receptor and applied greater and still greater power. Space behind was blank of atomics. Smiling thankfully and beginning to unloosen his strap, John now noticed how dry his mouth was and that his skin felt dry too and feverish. But he had no headache and his thoughts seemed to be functioning as clearly and swiftly as always. Boy! I sure need a bath and drink, and something to eat, he thought, then realized that the others would be feeling the same way. 
the others he turned quickly to look at them they were all still lying in their packs somewhat pale but with a peaceful unstrained look on their faces john tried to rise but reeled back and almost fell as he got onto his feet he held himself erect a moment and gradually felt a measure of strength returning as soon as he could he went into the galley quickly he prepared a cup of instant broth and drank it gratefully much refreshed he made more of the consomme and further enriched it with some antiphatic pills dissolved in a steaming liquid he set four cups of it on a tray and carried them into the control room his first quick glance showed the other beginning to stir morning folk he called cheerily soup's on they opened their eyes slowly almost uncomprehendingly but awareness came quickly and his mother and brother sat up and fumbled at their straps did we make it his father called anxiously but jack noticed at once how weak his father's voice sounded and went across to his side we sure did john smiled broadly we were out just a little over five days and the receptors don't show a thing behind i woke up just a few minutes ahead of you and that's one of the first things i looked at then i found i was weak and dry so i went out and made this broth he passed the cups and as the other drank gratefully john spoke again <sighs> i've got to hand it to you al you sure fixed us fine this time he certainly did mr calver spoke as forcefully as he could having already privately warned jack to say nothing of his weakened condition he looked solicitously over at his wife you're right marcy yeah i feel fine now that i had this good consummation was so thoughtful as to make she smiled with real relief that they had all come through this dangerous experiment so successfully mr carver turned to john it feels like we're only at one gravity yes i rigged the automatics so they take care of that at the end of one hundred and twenty-five hours the boy explained probably it was the relief from pressure that woke us as well as the wearing off the stuff jack gave us then he looked at his brother how come we're not famished after five days that little glucose and stuff you gave us wouldn't last that long would it no but the drug not only made us unconscious but slowed down our metabolism so that we burned up hardly any energy there was silence then while the four sipped their broth finally mr carver looked up at jack how soon can we go through this again the book says the doctor gave as high as four doses to people one right after the other as they woke up with only a few hours rest between them hmm. then we'd better take some time out we'll all want bath plenty of your mother's good cooking and john and i will have to do some computing if bogin holds his acceleration plus and minus we can take most of the day and still beat him in john had been doing some rapid preliminary figuring but it'll take a couple of hours maybe more to compute the last hope it's tricky 
Especially I'll I'll have to look in the ephemeris to find the position of Luna when we get near her orbit. Right. We don't want to hit her. Well, we can keep at one gravity for at least twelve hours then, his father said. And Mrs. Carver breathed a sigh of relief. She was still a bit worried about their undergoing such untried experiments, even though she trusted the abilities of her menfolk, and knew they had all come safely through the first time. I'll make note of all this and ask each of you for your full reaction, Jack said animatedly. Then when we get home, I'll write up a complete report and send it to Dr. Sven Holm. I'm sure it'll be tickled pink to get his added confirmation of his studies and experiments. That's thoughtful of you, son, his father smiled. You're developing into a true research scientist. He sure is, his younger brother paid deserved tribute. Jack reddened a bit and hastily left the control room to help his mother with her work. They all took warm baths and changed their clothing. As Jack was helping his father, he asked anxiously, Now that we're alone, father, did you really come through all right? You look a bit more tired and worn than before we started this. Sure, I'm okay, Mr. Carver said quickly, but he could not meet his son's eyes. You're not, sir, and you know it, and I know it. Jack smiled a bit strainedly. I don't like it, but I know how you feel about this, so I'll keep quiet. How's your leg? Thanks, son. Our getting back first is very important to me, and I can rest and get well after we reach Earth and get the board's confirmation on our claim. And don't forget that we might not get back at all if Boggin catches up with us. He's ruthless about anyone who gets in his way. As for the leg, it aches some, but not like it did before. I really think it's healing in fine shape. Let's have a look. Jack threw back the covers and peered closely at the leg, lifting it so he could better see all around it. Yes, he said finally, as he tucked in the blankets again. It's almost healed, and there isn't a sign of inflammation. Not even a bump where the break was. I... I sure hope I set it right. So that it won't bother you later on. His father patted his end. You did a grand job. I know, son. And I'm very grateful to you. As well as proud of having such a fine boy. Two fine boys, then. For John is certainly every bit as deserving of your praise as I am, sir. That I'll certainly buy. Mr. Carver's eyes shone. They all sat about during the day, eating as much as they could hold of Mrs. Carver's fine cooking, and relaxing gratefully in the comfortable one-gravity earth way. John and his father worked tirelessly until they had computed precisely where they were and how soon and how much more deceleration they would have to use to furnish their trip than they to relax for the balance of the day. Late that afternoon John suddenly swiveled his chair about to face his father's reclined seat. I think I've figured out something on that new fuel and how to use it, Pop. Ships'll have to be changed though. 
The bins will have to be heavily lead-lined, of course, and so would the injected tubes have to be shielded. The nozzle would have to be made smaller, so the pellets will fit better. I figure the people who used to handle the stuff made the nuggets that exact size on purpose that we'd not want to try making them the same size as our copper ones. That sounds reasonable. What about shielding for the generators? There'd have to be a lot more of that too. Probably thick shields of neo, carboloy and paraffin. But can't they surround the generators? Bins and everything with false fields? As an added precaution? Hmm, maybe they could at that. We'd better put it up to the scientist and take his back on Terra. Neither of us knows enough to handle it ourselves when it comes down to the actual work. The boy's face fell, then he forced a smile. I hate to give in to anyone else on this, but you're right as rain, Pop. It is too big a fish for us to handle alone. But I'm sure going to learn before I finish, and someday when I run against anything like this again, you can bet I'll know what to do. What's the use of going all that trouble when you only have that small amount of fuel you found? Their mother asked curiously. Ouch. You would have to think of that, John grumbled, but Mr. Carver smiled up at his wife. There's plenty on Planet 5, remember? And probably in other places around the universe. You can bet that prospectors will be hunting and finding it once we announce our discovery. If we and the scientists can figure out what it was before it started losing its half-life, and if we can learn how to use it, he said firmly, once metallurgists have had the chance to analyze it, they won't take long to figure out exactly what it is and where it can probably be found. The type of sun and planet that would have it, I mean, he added. And under the Prime Discoverer's code we'll get a percentage of the process, won't we, Pop? I think so. That'll be up to the board, but they're usually pretty square about such things. When it was time, Jack again gave the family the dosage of nutrients, and then the shots. John had filled four thermos bottles with strength-regaining soup his mother had made, and these were placed at each pressure pack, ready for their awakening. Again the four lapsed into the complete unconsciousness of suspended animation, knowing neither discomfort nor the long passage of time, while their little ship bore through the immensities of space at a constant negative acceleration of five gravities. As before, when they awakened, they felt as though they had just gone to sleep. As soon as they had taken their initial feelings on of the thermos hot broth, John and his father set to work taking observations and making long and intricate calculations of their present speed and placement. Where were they? How much of their utterly incomprehensible top speed did they have left? Practically perfect! John exclaimed happily after nearly an hour of careful computations as he read the last tapes from the calculator. It works out at 1.84 g's to atmosphere. Oh, positively K, Mr. Carver agreed. A master computer couldn't have done any better. And Jack has certainly proved himself to be a grand doctor. It's not my credit. Doctor Van Holmes, the one who... 
but it was you who made up the fluid and induced you to take it. His mother came over and ran her hand gently through his hair. I'm proud of you all. John had been turning his receptors carefully, but was unable to get any traces of Bogin's ship, and all were happy at his report. Warm bath and changes of clothing, and the fine meals prepared by Mrs. Carver's, plus the fact they were rapidly nearing Sol, which could be seen on their telescopic plates, made them all very gay and full of chatter. I've decided I want to go back to the hospital school and really prepare myself to be a doctor, Jack said in no uncertain terms. Later, I want to go into medical research. And I still want to enroll at the Centropolitan Institute of Atomics. John's eyes were shining. Aren't you boys forgetting one little detail? Their father asked dryly. While the long slips had relaxed his body and had practically completed the healing of his broken leg, the pressure had not been good for him, and his condition as a whole was worse. But his spirits were high, and he was careful not to let any of his family know just how weak he felt. At his question they all looked up, astonished, and he continued. There's the small matter of getting the colonial board's approval of our claim against the counterclaim we feel so sure Boggins is coming in to make. Pooh, he hasn't got a chance, John said airily. You hope, Jack scoffed, suddenly serious and worried. How about it, Mr. C? Mrs. Carver asked. How pictures and data are so detailed, I don't see how Bogin can possibly match them. Her husband answered slowly and thoughtfully. I think we can prove our claim. Besides, the receivers there on Terra should have picked up the broadcast of our signals, and then the change, and that should have made them wonder why. So our explanation ought to satisfy them. That reminds me. John swung back to his paddle. Let's see if we can pick up our signals from there. Or Boggins, rather. His lips tightened. In a few moments, his tubes had warmed up, but nothing came in over his ultra-range receivers. He stepped up the power and swung his directional loops forth and back, although mostly he aimed at directly towards the Carvinia system's known coordinate. For long, anxious minutes he worked, but still no sounds, save the noise of cosmic rays and the other forces of the void that made long-distance communication such a problem. With a wary gesture, John finally turned off the set and swung about with a stricken face. What do you suppose is wrong, Pop? The elder shook his head slowly. Only thing I can think of is that we're so far away, the senders can't reach this far. Won't that be in our favor? Jack asked. If they can't hear any signals at all, our records ought to be enough. Maybe yes, maybe no, Mr. Carver answered with a tired smile. And after all our hard work too. John Stone was dispirited. And the dangers you were up against... Mrs. Carver's eyes were tear-dimmed. Their father caught himself then looked at each with a disarming grin. Hey, we're all crossing bridges where maybe there isn't even a creek to be spanned. He made his voice mockingly cheerful. What's happened to the good old Carver spirit? You're right, Pop. John shook away his dismay and began to smile. We're not licked yet. 
But while they were eating, a short time later, John turned his seat to face his father. Don't like to start worrying again, Pop, he said in a low voice, but our receptor is picking up atomic activity behind us again. Of course, he added quickly, this close to Terra it could be some other ship, not Bogans. Could be, and probably is. His father stroked his chin reflectively. I don't see how he could have caught up with us, but we don't know what this ship can do. The guy is tricky and dirty, but he does have a brain, and he has some darn good techniques in his crew. He'd know, from his own receptors, when we started spitting up so fast, and he'd do something to counteract that, if he could. I've heard things like that about him, but I don't know him. I do, grimly. We've had brushes before when I was in other ships. He's a skunk and ought to be behind bars, but so far no one has been able to produce any real evidence of what old spaceman know must be true. If the board accepts our claim and data against his, won't that be proof against him? It should be. You can bet your tackle I'll work on that angle. Space will be cleaner if that hellhound isn't in it. You bet, Pop. I hope you think you're hooking him this time. His father laughed grimly. It won't be for lack of trying. That's for dang sure. End of chapter 14 Recording by Alexis Duclos of the French podcast Citizen Cage